0: what's up podcast peeps what an episode you're gonna hear today this is the track from the you are your story podcast which is put out by luis D. bianco who's a uh actor and uh helps people communicate uh and change their story And this is a really extended interview. You will learn about the darkest day of my life, uh, the future of my stand-up comedy career, and how my $6,000 toilet has demonstrated that the singularity of AI taking over the world isn't even near, it's already here. (laughs) But most importantly, you'll learn how to reinvent yourself, how to change your story uh, and, and just sell yourself a new story and move forward to the success you want. So enjoy. You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Luis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Luis DiBianco.
1: Are you willing to be too naive to know that something won't work? Are you willing to be like the fool on the hill, the mysterious character in the famous Beatles song? If you are, you have the possibility of creating a life of freedom and abundance if you're not you could end up a slave to your past. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life, where you will learn two powerful related skills to grow and transform your life and business. One, you'll learn how to change the inner narratives that rob you of your power and replace them with narratives that make you unstoppable. And two, you will learn the storytelling techniques that will make all your marketing and sales messages irresistible. One of the best ways to change your story is to read great books. Our sponsor is Audible, and they're offering you, as listeners to this show, a downloadable, free audiobook of your choice – you get to choose from more than one hundred and eighty thousand titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com com forward slash story power and choose your free audiobook today. Also go to WWW com and on the home page. Download the book that I have created as a gift for you, the ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. I heard a mind-expanding thought from an exceptional marketer, Alex Mandozian. He said, you can't get what you don't give away. If you're here and getting value from this podcast, give yourself the gift of giving that value away to others. Go to Change Your Story, Change Your Life on iTunes and leave a brief review, which can be a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode and add a five-star rating. This will help the show to climb the iTunes ranks and reach more people. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest chose to be naive, creative, and bold a long time ago. His choice helped him overcome soul-crushing obstacles and create a life of his dreams. He's a thought-provoking, critical thinker who will make you approach your business and your life in a whole new way. He's the author of 11 books, translated into 25 languages, including the New York Times bestsellers Risky is the New Safe and Mad Genius. He has spoken to more than 2 million people across more than 50 countries and is a member of the Speaker's Hall of Fame. When he is not prowling the podium, or locked in his lonely writer's garret, you'll probably find him playing third base for a softball team somewhere. His name is Randy Gage, and you can learn more about him at randygage.com. Randy, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life.
0: Hey, Lewis, great to be on with you.
1: Thank you. First off, I'd love to know if you had a childhood dream of who you wanted to be when you grew up.
0: I was a voracious reader, uh, sometimes reading a book a day in my teen years. So I did have a dream that I wanted to be a writer, I thought. I wanted to write books, and um, like novels. I read espionage, thrillers, Robert Ludlum type of stuff, Iger-sanctioned uh, stuff. And um so that's kind of turned true because I am a writer <laughs> and although I've been writing non fiction books, but I'm actually my next book that I will be beginning will actually be a fiction book.
1: Well that's fascinating. I didn't know that about you. And what's what's interesting to me is that your last two books, though they're nonfiction, are stranger than fiction.
0: Yeah, it's true, like the mad genius work, because I'm talking about all the AI and AR and VR and genetic cloning and biogenetic engineering and all of these things that are are happening now as we speak. So it was kind of a futuristic sci-fi kind of thing, those last two.
1: And they're, they're wonderful books. They really are. Everyone should, should, should read them. What did your journey first take you off the beaten path?
0: Pretty early. I I lived by myself when I was 15 years old. Uh, I was in jail for armed robbery. Uh, I I celebrated my 16th birthday in jail waiting trial for armed robbery. Does that... um does that qualify as off the beaten path?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a that's a really good one. Uh, that that wins the prize. Um, uh, um, how long were you in jail? Uh,
0: months. I don't remember how many months, but months. Um, and uh, I was really blessed. I um, uh, they gave me. Uh, Supervision is what they call probation for minors under the age of 18. That was in Madison, Wisconsin, where I grew up. And if you, um, if you are on supervision and then you stay out of trouble, then when you turn 18, you, you don't have a criminal record. And so that's, was, I made some really bad choices. I was a teenage alcoholic. I was a teenage drug addict. So obviously I made some really horrific cho- choices. And um, But I was able to turn it around, and um, so I've been very blessed in that sense.
1: I know, because what you bring to the world is, is incredibly inspiring. What personal demons did you face when you were an angry, rebellious youth?
0: It was the drugs and the alcohol. Those were the demons for me. Um, and, and they were really, and I would say social anxiety. I was just such a pathologically shy, insecure, low self-esteem guy that i think the, the the addictions were a way to escape that and um live in a alternate universe really.
1: Wow. I just love you the, the fact that you said that cuz I'm not, this is not my story, but certainly I wanted to live in an alternate universe when I was in my <laughs> teens. But it's it's interesting. You said at first that the alcohol and the drugs were the demons, but they really weren't. The demons were those fears and anxieties that led you to to those right. things. Yeah. Now, was there a pivotal event that pointed you in a different direction?
0: Uh yeah. I had a one day the i heard some keys jangling and my cell door opened and a visitor came in he was a guy named baxter richardson and he was the father of joy who was my best friend's girlfriend that i went to school with david and joy and she had like said dad you gotta go help my friend randy he's in jail and so he came to see me in that jail cell and he said, "You don't belong here. You're capable of doing great things." Mm. And I thought, "This guy's so full of it. He is. It is. He's delusional." And he insisted, "No, you don't belong here. You're cap-. And I'm like, "Do you know who you're talking to?" <laughs> <Do> you- <laughs> and he was like, "No, I I did homework before I came here. I talked to all of your teachers because, of course, he was a teacher." So they all opened up to him and he said, I talked to them. They tell me that your reading comprehension is higher than college level. That you'll skip school for three weeks straight and then you'll come in and there'll be a test and you'll ace the test. You really are capable of great things. And nobody had ever told me anything like that in my life, right? Mm. I mean, what I heard was, how can someone so smart be so stupid? Wow. If I heard that once, I heard that a thousand times, right? So um, my mother was, uh, she was a single mother, but a guy she was dating when my teen years, that's what he used to say to me. How can someone so smart be so stupid? And um, so Baxter told me this different reality and I so desperately wanted to believe him that I believed him and because I believed him it was true, <laughs> right?
1: Yes, yes. Now if I wouldn't have
0: believed him it wouldn't have been true but because I believed him it was true and that was a seminal pivotal moment for me because um, somebody actually believed in me, somebody actually thought that I could do great things. And I, I I was able to borrow some of his belief in me that I didn't have for myself. And uh, then we, uh, you know, I was able to arrange uh, a job and uh, Baxter was actually teaching at this alternate high school, which was called the School Without Walls, which was an experimental school that the school system was uh, uh, was testing there where students could actually teach a class if you created a syllabus and, you know, curriculum and you got it approved by one of the faculty and everything. And so they, when I finally went to court, you know, I had people vouching for me and saying, Hey, he's got a job when he comes out. Hey, he's going to go to this school with Baxter. And so that's how I was able to get the probation. And Obviously, that was a, a pivotal moment for me, because that's when I just, you know, you're sitting in jail for months at a time, you kind of get a chance to <laughs> reflect on some of the decisions you've made up to that point. And I kind of had come to the conclusion that, you know, these, these choices I'm making aren't really serving me very well. Maybe I need to start making different choices in the future.
1: This is and, a, this is an incredible story. I mean, if you, had you been given a crystal ball at that time and you were able to see who you are today, you probably would have broken it.
0: Yeah, I would could never ever had imagined that I could become the the person I am today. Uh, even with Baxter believing in me and giving me reinforcement and wanting to be positive and what. Believe me, I would have, if you had told me where I would be today, I would have thought you were insane.
1: Do you ever wake up now sometimes and just pinch yourself and say, hey, am I dreaming?
0: <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, I don't pinch myself every day, but I really do. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't take it for granted. I, I have been in some very dark places and, um, you know, I, I know... Uh I know how blessed I am and I know how it's like, you know, if no matter what goes on in, in my life, you know, I can walk around the, you know, go out in the hallway from my, I work at home here at my office. I can go around the corner to my guest bathroom and know that I have a $6,000 toilet in that bathroom. <laughs> okay. so, I have this, <laughs> Mini, whatever they call it, toilet with the built-in bidet and dryer and the lid opens automatically and it plays classical music and and I have four of those that I bought right, so actually five because I first bought one in my last place, so you know, am I going to really complain I, you know, I once lived on seven thousand dollars income for the year.
2: Mm.
0: Now I spend six thousand dollars on a toilet. <laughs> Am I gonna complain and you know feel sorry for myself because uh, the drive through forgets the onion rings on my order.
1: <laughs> you spoke about darkness. What was your darkest moment that you recall?
0: Uh I think when the IRS seized my restaurant, uh, uh, I was struggling with a partner. We started a uh, restaurant kind of trying to bootstrap it. We couldn't, didn't pay the taxes and they actually seized it and auctioned it off. And that was, so I was, I had no house, no car, no job. I was $55,000 in debt and at that point in my life, I mean, fifty-five thousand dollars might as well have been ten million. Um so that was just um that was probably my darkest moment.
1: Wow, you know, uh I'm actually surprised to hear that. That was darker for you than the moment you were when someone shot you and you almost died?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, um, cause I thought of that. I thought of being in jail. I thought of being shot. Um, I thought of a, the crystal meth addiction. And it's darkest moments. But to, if, if I had to pick the darkest moment, I just think it was that because I had this idealistic dream. I was the first person in my family that had ever been successful in business, the first entrepreneur. Um, I was felt, I was like carrying the torch for every generation since we came over on the Mayflower. Um, it's the first, you know, thing like I felt I had done right. And then just, and, and I mean, I ended up selling all my furniture and sleeping on the floor and eating macaroni and cheese three times a day because, you know, I was buying the four box for a dollar at the, the, the groceries brand at the grand union and i mean it was just um such a such a cataclysmic shift in consciousness from you know being what most people would consider successful and then you've sold your bed and you're sleeping on the floor it's it's pretty shocking to your system
1: mm-hmm. to the to the self image that's powerful. When did you first read Atlas Shrugged?:
0: It must have been twenty 25 years ago. Um, it's been a long time, the first, but it was probably yeah, I was probably thirty or thirty five when I read it.
1: And what character did you identify with the most at the time?
0: Francisco
1: Ah, that makes he was, sense.
0: He was my hero. Why does it make sense? It's interesting you show that. So well, I'm curious, why does that make sense?
1: To, to me, it makes sense because Francisco was not only brilliant and uh, an innovator, but he, was, he had an incredible sense of play and adventure. And, and, you know, in the years that I've known you and followed you, I see that in your personality. And so it makes sense to me that the others... As successful and as bright as they are, were a little too, ah, uh, in a way, rigid, and you mm-hmm. and you're not rigid. At least I don't see you as rigid.
0: Mm-hmm. But, and I'm i good. I was sure, you know, I know the guest isn't supposed to do the interview, but I was very intrigued to, you know, why you felt that way. That's interesting.
1: It's a conversation, Randy. I welcome it. My favorite, my hero was Wesley Mooch. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And uh, if people don't know who that is, then you got to read the book to find out.
0: Got to read the book.
1: How did the book change you?
0: It was the first time in my life where I explored the concept of living by a congruent philosophy. Mm. Because um, I'm a high school dropout, obviously, I've never taken. I had never taken philosophy courses, and I didn't know about the great philosophers. I had never studied any philosophy. And then, of course, Ayn uh, is introducing the philosophy of objectivism in the book. And that was my first experience with that. And, But more importantly, how people in the book, like Francisco, Like, uh, Howard Rourke in the, um, the er earlier book, the, what's the name of, uh,
1: The Fountainhead.
0: Yeah, The Fountain, Howard Rourke and The Fountainhead. Uh, you know, and I really introduced me to this idea of people who lived by a philosophy, a congruent philosophy. And that was really transformational for me that, uh, because that really accelerated my personal growth and self-development.
1: So what were some of the things that began to change in your behavior after you made, you came to that awareness?
0: Uh, I became much, I think that was the impetus that made me become a critical thinker. I think before that point, I was, I had never been a critical thinker. I would be like most of the people on the planet who look for people to tell them what to think. And that's what I did. So even though I was on a, a pathway that I thought was personal development or growth, I was still just looking for, you know, guides who would tell me what to think. And I wasn't learning how to think. And I didn't start to attempt to learn how to think until I wanted to live my life with a congruent philosophy.
1: Mm. Wow. That's, That's beautiful. And when did you actually begin to invest in your own formal personal development to spend money on courses and mentorship and stuff like that?
0: When I was 20, because when I was twenty, I joined the Amway Corporation, <laughs> okay. and I remember my uh, my sponsor picking me up and you know to take me to a meeting. And this DJ on the radio just kept talking and talking, and so finally I said to the to my guy, you know, what's where what is he going to play the music? And he said, there's no music. That's a self development tape. I said, a what? <laughs> he said, that, that's Wayne Dyer. I'm like, who's Wayne Dyer? What does he sing? What does he play? It's like, no, he doesn't sing. It's, it's personal development. I'm like, what is that? I mean, I had no. Believe me, you could trace a thousand generations of my family back to the first primordial pond scum that emerged from there. <laughs> you know swamp and no one had ever read a self-development book or gone to a self-development seminar because we didn't even know they existed Mm. i didn't know there were books like that Mm. i mean i just thought like what that was probably a cassette tape that my friend was uh had in his car right Mm. um i didn't know that kind of stuff existed but that being in amway they you know they pushed personal growth and self-development and so that and then, of course, um, I, I wanted to be like the successful people in that business. And so I wanted to hang around with them. So I would volunteer to, at, at events and pick them up at the airport or whatever. And I found that all these successful people, they read personal development books. And they listened to audios and they watched videos. And so I was lucky in the sense I got turned on to that at a young age.
1: Mm. Can you address the how language, which is so powerful? How can it enslave us or set us free?
0: When you're not a critical thinker, you just um, you use language. Uh, you allow language to use you, and you don't really think about it. So when you you just adopt these memes and mind viruses and expressions, you know she's poor as a church mouse.
2: Mm, mm. Okay,
0: well, let's think about that for a minute. Why would a church mouse be poor? What kind of negative programming is this? Why wouldn't a church mouse be the most successful, happy, you know, rich mouse on the planet? Um, there's just a lot of programming. So when you, you know, the, I, I'm doing, uh, uh, a series on my blog this week about comedy and satire and there was recently this you know uh, uh Kevin Hart was going to co- host the Oscars and then they found some old tweets that were kind of homophobic and he resigned from that and then Ellen had him on his show her show and you know she's lobbying to get him on and so I'm Louis CK had a set leaked where he was making uh, controversial jokes. So I'm like writing a whole series. It's like four days I'm going to spend on this on just the power of comedy, satire, commentary, and how it affects us. And, and how do we view that with prosperity consciousness? Uh, and it's not easy. It gets really, really messy really quickly.
1: You, I have a feeling that you really like Ricky Gervais.
0: Yeah, brilliant guy. Okay. But he'd be another perfect example that um, the that I'm writing about in the blog. There are some things that um, that I, I can look at Ricky and say, okay, he's a comedic genius.
2: Yeah.
0: And there's material there that I don't want to listen to because it's really not prosperity consciousness.
1: Can you give an example? He's talking about his latest show, Humanity.
0: Uh, I haven't seen it, but I think when he hosted the Oscars or the gold globes or the Emmys or whatever he did, and I remember mm-hmm. he was going to introduce, uh, Robert Downing
2: mm-hmm. and
0: said, uh, you'll know this next guest from institutions such as the Los Angeles police, the Los Angeles jail and the Betty Ford clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh funny comedy brilliant right but mm, is that really prosperity consciousness to um, you know mock somebody because of their addiction Mm, probably not and as a guy who's faced addiction my whole life that of course you know and I like Robert Downing is my hero here is a guy with horrific addiction and he has become the most go-to star in Hollywood I mean Maybe Rock, The Rock, might be the most marketable movie star right now. But I mean, Downey had the the whole Iron Man franchise, the Avengers franchise, the uh, Sherlock Holmes franchise. I mean, he's really, really, really turned it around. And I, you know, it's a really inspirational, wonderful story.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I, you know, and I love biting comedy. That's literally the, I've got a blog that I'm going to post tomorrow that's over a thousand words. I've been writing it all day, um, looking at my own self, because I'm one of those people with a really dark, totally politically incorrect, uh, wicked sense of humor. And so my friends know that. And we, but I have to also say, mm, you know, is that really... You know, don't I, I? I might need to work on this myself.
1: Do you like Hannah Gatsby? Uh,
0: I don't
1: know her. Oh my God. Check her out on. Uh, you're going to love her, I think. You, she has a show on Netflix called Hannah Gatsby Nanette. And this is one brilliant woman. Yeah. Wickedly funny. Uh, yeah. And uh, she pushes the envelope and even challenges the whole concept of what comedy should be. It's, it's, it's very powerful. She's from Australia. I think I watched that twice in a week. Yeah, uh, Phenomenal.
0: Um, yeah. One of the things I'm saying in this blog, this series is that um, people like uh, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce back then, and now Ricky Gervais and Louis CK and, uh, Kathy Griffin and um, Kevin Hart and all these people we're talking about, they help us evolve as a society because the best humor... You know, humor only works if there's an element of truth in it. There's no joke that's not funny. That's funny if there's not some truth behind it, right?
2: Exactly. So
0: even when it's a horrific stereotype, a trope or whatever, if there wasn't some degree of truth there, we wouldn't find it funny. And so... What uh, these brilliant comedians do is they challenge the inequality of our society. They challenge the hypocrisy of our society. And we hate that sometimes and we love that sometimes. But And sometimes (coughs) they do it and it just causes us to hate them and attack them and say they're horrible or they're not funny. And sometimes they change society because... Excuse me. They hold up that mirror to us and we don't like what we see and then we change. Um, and that's the great value of freedom of speech, of satire, political satire, uh, shows like Saturday Night Live. And we have to recognize that if we want that, it's gonna sometimes cross the line. And like the Louis CK, they, you know, the set that they just TMZ put out the audio and he's making fun of the kids in the Parkland shooting. Wow. Yeah. So to me, that's over the line. That's not political satire. That is hurtful or dangerous Hate you know, and he's also talking about the kids who don't uh, identify as gender.
2: And, mm-hmm. uh,
0: you know, th- those are the kids who kill themselves. Those are the kids who get assaulted. Those are the kids who get killed. Um, so I think you can't do that. But I recognize if you're going to be a brilliant comedian like you, Louis C.K. really is, <laughs> you're going to have to recognize that sometimes they're going to go over the line. And, you know, I don't think we've figured out how to deal with that yet as a society. And I think that's one of the things we're working through right now that, okay, what is this whole politically correct thing? And, you know, how far does this go?
1: Well, certainly contemporary America does not have a good sense of irony at all, if it has any sense of irony at all. Uh, I would love to know, and this is a serious question, when do you plan to launch your stand up comedy career?
0: <laughs> I'm serious. I know you're serious. I, I believe you're serious. Uh, cause I, I, I may do that. Um, I don't know. I, you know, NSA, uh National Speakers Association for those of you guys listening who don't know I'm not talking about the spies I'm talking about the speakers <laughs> um at the convention sometimes they have a uh like a comedy thing the night before the convention and I almost you know I've toyed around with the idea of doing that one time and obviously as a professional speaker I weave a lot of comedy into my talks But I've never done comedy. I've never done an open mic thing. I've never done a stand-up comedy. But that's an it's an intriguing idea for me. I think I think you I think you picked up on that.
1: I think you would crush it. I mean, really, look, I've been present at a lot of your presentations. I watched you, and you know what? You already have a comedy uh, CD. It's called Escape from the Rat Race. (laughs) that that, that is Uh because that does exactly what it really holds the mirror up but it is absolutely hysterical I mean I've listened to that many times in my car and sometimes I'm listening to it to learn and other times I'm just listening for the entertainment value it's hysterical
0: (laughs) oh thanks yeah yeah because you know you want to have fun when you do some stuff and there's um, that's like I say there's real power in humor to create oh, oh.
1: change. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, how does the problem. Let's well, give, give you an idea. So, I did a blog on Christmas Day, yeah, and I, my blog was Make Bethlehem Great Again.
1: I, I read that, and I've been telling people about it, and every time I do, they laugh.
0: Well, and all I did for that blog was I took the exact verbatim speech from Donald J. Trump and took out the word America and put in Bethlehem Mm -hmm. and everything else in the blog is his words exactly. Mm. And so I did that for the very and of course, I have people who have just eviscerated me for that. And how could you do I And mean, then Christmas Day of all day, how could you do that? <laughs> And, you know, the old stay in your lane, you know, why are you bringing politics into it? Well, I teach the principles of prosperity. And te- you cannot teach the principles of prosperity without talking about politics, without talking about what's happening in the real world. And the whole reason I made that post was I wanted to point out the hypocrisy and irrationality of people who claim to be Christian, who support the. Uh, administrations' immigration policies—no kidding—separating babies from mothers and your toddlers from their parents and locking them in in, in fences and in you know cages for all practical purposes. Um, you can't say you're a Christian and support that. You just can't. All they, but, but they do. But they do. <laughs> of course they do. So what does comedy do? Comedy points out the hypocrisy. Now you can say to me, "No, I, I don't care about those kids. They're from Nicaragua, so they don't matter to me. They're not white. Right. They're not like us." Remember that that anchor on Fox that said, "You know, they're not our kids." <laughs> okay, you you have the right to believe that, but you you can't say you believe that and you're a Christian, okay? Mm-hmm. Or you can say you're a Christian and you know. But you can't be a jewish nazi that right. doesn't exist okay so you cannot support those kind of immigration you can't read the bible and say you believe in the philosophy and the lessons of jesus christ and support what our current immigration policy is and does not mean you have to support the immigration policy or you have to be a critic i'm not you be whatever, I don't know, I'm telling anybody what religion they should be or not be. I'm just saying, and I'm not telling them what immigration policy they should support or not support. But, but I'm not afraid to point out <clears throat> the irrational and hypocrisy of saying that you hold those two viewpoints.
1: Mm-hmm. You'd probably love the most recent podcast that uh, Alec Baldwin did. His his show, of course, it's called Here's the Thing. I listened to it this morning at the gym, and he's interviewing a, a young 30-something woman who was the one who created massive chaos at the airports with her to help immigrants the day after Trump uh, issued his Muslim ban. And it's it's a brilliant interview. She, yeah. She's on fire. She really is. And um, so uh, my next question for you is, how does the problem-solving mindset limit us?
0: <sighs> the, the, the issue with solving problems is you're usually looking backwards, not forward, because the problem existed, happened last year week, yesterday, last month, or last year, or it's been developing for the last decade. So we're looking at what were the causes that of this problem, that's all backward looking, and it's not forward looking. And the real innovation, the stuff that I'm talking about in like the mad genius book that comes from possibility thinking. Mm. And that's that comes from looking forward, not backwards.
1: Give us an example of framing two different questions. One as a problem question, the other one as a possibility question.
0: Well, to me, this that the, the, it's best um, demonstrated in the iPod, iPad, the iPad when it came out, and they were interviewing Jobs and said, "Well, did you do any focus groups, you know, for this?" And he said, "No, it's not our customers' job to know what they want." And that kind of um, gets to both issues, the forward looking and the backward looking, because that's what brilliant entrepreneurs do is they say, "Okay, what what is our customer going to want that they don't even know they want it yet? Mm -hmm. And same thing with the influencer, a speaker, a coach, a consultant, a blogger, a podcaster is what do my people want to know that they don't even know that they want to know yet? Mm. That's possibility thinking.
1: Beautiful. Are we in the decade of chaos, in your opinion, and how can that be a good thing?
0: Yes, we're in the most cataclysmic, chaotic decade in the history of civilization. And that is going to produce... Some of the most monumental challenges like we've ever like, uh, greater than we have ever faced, like cloning, biogenetic engineering, people pre-ordering designer babies. What's the ethics, the the morality of that? What is the morality of cloning? right? Mm-hmm. we can We can have a hundred and eighty nations sign an accord to say we all agree nobody will do human cloning but there still will be some country that says hey we don't have oil we don't have diamonds we don't have natural resources we're going to be the cloning country Mm -hmm. and they'll do it and there's you're not going to be able to prevent that from happening at some point somebody somewhere will be cloning humans
1: if they haven't done it already
0: right uh, and I don't think they have, but assume either way, at some point somebody will do that. And if you don't think this, you know, crazy head case in North Korea <laughs> would buy two hundred thousand or four hundred thousand cloned soldiers, then you just haven't been paying attention, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> the moral ethical dilemmas from that—we're going to be sorting that out for decades probably as we should I mean you know debating that and the same thing with genetic engineering and people are going to go to the doctor and he's going to have the menu board behind him or her just like McDonald's and you're going to say (laughs) I want the Maya Angelou poetry gene and the Tom Brady quarterback gene and the um, Ricky Gervais uh, you know comedy gene and whatever
1: and then to top it off do you want fries with that?
0: (laughs) Yeah and this is i mean that's crazy that's chaotic it's i mean the challenges obstacles problems issues are going to be mind boggling uh, and the other side of that is every one of those uh, challenges is going to offer a corresponding opportunity and and that's why I, I believe you know we're living in the greatest time in human history
1: That's why I remember when I was filling out that list of books, I mentioned Bold by Peter Diamandis, and that's his feeling. I mean, his is, it's all great. It's all, you know, latent with tremendous opportunity and possibility. What is, you talk about a creativity triad, and enlighten our listeners about that.
0: Yeah, that's something I wrote about in the the Mad Genius book, I think. Yeah. I don't know that it's even my concept. It's something maybe I read or studied or heard about, but I believe it's, you, you need three things, which is the experience, some form of a capturing system, and then action, take, take an action. And that's the, the triad that would turn an idea into Uh, An innovation that would, you know, I turn a concept into a Uber or an Airbnb. So you you have the experience, um, which could be a, a trip to South America or planning, you know, digging irrigation systems in Africa or writing an opera or whatever. You have this experience and then you. You need a way to capture it, which for me, that's a journal. Um, I'm amazed that, you know, I have some of the most high tech friends in the world who have, they go around with six devices or 10 devices, <clears throat> but they still have a, a, a written paper journal and then they take action from it. Right. So mm. imagination, the, the principle behind it to me is, it, imagination by itself is not creativity creativity requires that you actually do something with this thing you're daydreaming about you start <coughs> excuse me <coughs> start that company write that opera develop that new mobile app whatever it may be
1: mm-hmm it's all in the implementation now, I love this something I in that book as well. We talk about what uh, lesson we can learn about creativity from an airport sign, thinking <laughs> of the airport sign in Birmingham, Alabama.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's what you call a softball leading question. <laughs> <laughs> It's called leading the witness. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I was, I was going to Birmingham playing in a softball tournament. I'm going back to the airport after the tournament. It says, there's this sign, welcome to the Birmingham international airport. I'm like, what international airport airline would fly to Birmingham, Alabama? I mean, <laughs> Is Air France coming here? Is, you know, uh, Adria Air from Slovenia flying here? Who is flying to Birmingham, Alabama? So I asked the taxi driver, hey, he's like, I don't know. I don't think, you know. And then I check in with the agent and I ask her. And she's like, I don't know. And then she asked the agent next to her. She doesn't know. She asked the agent next to her. He didn't know. They asked the supervisor. She comes. He comes, whoever it was. They didn't know. Finally, after like 10 people, we found out that uh, Delta has a code share with Air Mexico for the flight from Atlanta to Birmingham. Also has a a flight number with uh, Air Mexico. So that makes that an international flight, which makes Birmingham an international airport. (laughs) But, you know, the whole lesson of that for me is and why I put it in the book is that came about because I have curiosity
2: Hmm. because
0: I noticed then like what who in the hell would fly to Birmingham Alabama from another country this is not a a feeder you know hub and spoke this is not a hub this is you know who would be flying here and the fact that I have that curiosity, um, I think, is one of the gifts that has made me really, really successful.
1: I agree. It's very powerful. And I I think that the more I live, I feel that curiosity is like a muscle. You need to exercise it. And then eventually it just begins to become a habit. And uh, I mean, have you ever had the experience of going into a store looking for another store and you ask the store owner? And it might just be three stores down, but they don't know where it is.
0: Yeah. You know, yes. that's, again, they're, they don't they're, know. If they're in their little silo. Yeah. Their
1: little narrow world. That's it. That's all that exists. Fascinating. Another great lesson from the book about genius is what you learned from Bruce Lee. Share that with us.
0: That's, uh, that's kind of my, one of my favorite quotes is his, be like water. And of course, he. This story is how he was working with his master, and just you know, he he said, "Bila," you know, that he he was trying too hard. He was overthinking, and then when he finally went out on a a, a, one of those, I forget what you call those boats out in the Hong Kong harbor, and he was so frustrated, and he slammed his hand down on the water, and he realized the water just reacted to his hand and even though so you'd say well the water is weak because i he just slapped his hand down and the water dissipated but that's the same water that could create a tsunami that would level a 60-story office building Um, water is one of the most powerful forces on earth but it's look at a um a tributary that comes down from a mountain and carves a, a canyon into the into Solid rock, mm-hmm. granite, whatever the case. So um, his that's that would be uh, that would be a congruent philosophy for him. Be like water.
1: Yeah, it's 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 flowing with instead of fighting against. Right. It's like the principle of Aikido. In fact, years ago I took a course in in Tai Chi. And the master would walk around, and whenever he'd come to me, he would just look at me and say two words, no power, no power, no power, because I was pushing too hard.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: fascinating. Love it. Why do the simple words, what if, have such enormous power?
0: Because that's possibility thinking. Again, it's it's forced, because everything you learn is no, right? I should know the statistic, because there's some, every other motivational speaker in the world gives it that, you know, before you're ten years old, you heard the word no, eight billion, seven million, two hundred and twenty-seven thousand fifty-seven times, you know, whatever the number is. But that's the that's the mindset and that's the default setting is always no, 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 we can't, that's impossible. It can't be done. And so when I'm working with my corporate clients and they'll be saying, well, you know, we wanted to develop this product, but it doesn't, it's impossible. And I, my thing is always, well, what if, you know, what if we made that product in the dark? What if we made that product underwater? What if we made that product in a no gravity environment? What if we, and when you uh, play that, what if game, it really does open up possibilities because you've changed the default setting from why you can't do something to how you possibly could do something. Yeah.
1: What I love about it is, I, I mean, I'm an actor, and one, and, and when, when I was first studying acting, we learned the principle of the magic as if. Always, you know, begin... Accepting that reality that you're walking into as if it's real. Mm-hmm. And everything develops from there if you embrace it. It's beautiful. Define a meme for the audience, and what would you say are the two deadliest memes in the world today?
0: So, a meme, this word has been hijacked. Now, when you say a meme, people think it's a slide on Facebook or Instagram, but that's not really what a meme is. A meme is a Mind virus. So mm-hmm. just as your computer could get a, a virus on the hard drive, you can get a mind virus in your subconscious mind. And what a meme does <clears throat> is it parasitizes the host and causes the host to replicate the meme. Mm-hmm. So if you're, um, uh, at the red light and the car pulls up to you and the windows are down and they're um, blasting Daddy Yankee, shaky, 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 shaky. Well, now you kind of got that in your mind and then you're in the elevator and you're humming it and now it's an earworm and the other person in the elevator has got it and, you know, a, a, a slogan like just do it or yes, we can, they become a meme. In other words, they parasitize the host and cause the host to repeat that. And, um, so it's, it's literally a mind virus is what we mean. It would be, the term was coined by, uh, Richard Dawkins in his book, The Selfish Gene. Um, and it is the basis for what is becoming a science, uh, which is the science of mimetics. And, um, you say, okay, what are the, the most prevalent deadly memes in the world today would be that, Money is bad, and rich people are evil
1: mm. yeah that's a that's a deadly one sure is what can be the most exciting next step in your opinion in human evolution
0: <sighs> if we can blow up and replace the education system mm. and Which is completely archaic, completely out of date, completely out of touch, and almost completely irrelevant and almost completely useless. Because uh, the education system was developed to create worker drones for the collective, and it hasn't changed since then. Mm -hmm. And we're We have this curriculum of teaching kids to memorize facts, which they could look up in 10 seconds on their smartphone, and we don't teach them how to think. So when we change that, and I have a lot of thoughts in that in the Mad Genius book on how we could really redo education, I think that'll be the next big step for our evolution toward a more enlightened society is, um, is to get the education system on track with the focus of teaching people how to think. Mm-hmm. because How to think is actually a skill that you can develop and a skill that needs to be learned and needs to be nurtured.
1: It's true. It's true. I agree with you because without that um, uh, communication, just completely falls apart. Uh, why is this the age of the entre- the artist slash entrepreneur, in your opinion?
0: Because we're in this um, this uh, cataclysmic decade with all of these technological changes and and not just technology, but just social media, the internet, mobile apps how we interact with mobile apps, how it changes everything we do. Um, it's just going to create all of these challenges. And that's what thats what entrepreneurs need to innovate, is we need challenges. We need problems. We need obstacles. And um, we're in an age right now where we're facing a lot of them.
1: Now, if you could wave a magic wand, Randy, and change just one thing in the world... What would it be?
0: I probably would default to that education. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, I think that might be because I think that would be the most like when we started you you were asking for the pivotal event in my life. If mm-hmm. I said, you know, what is the pivotal event going to be? Because at some point the, the example I gave in the, the Mad Genius book was two microchips are communicating at the TED AI conference in the year 2025 and of course the ted ai conference is only a conference for artificial intelligence there's no actual humans there's no uh, hotel ballroom where this is taking place it's taking place in on the internet between these two uh, ai entities and one of the and, and they're they're planning their seminar for the rest of the attendees and the topic they're assigned is you know what do we do with these humans, <laughs> <laughs> and um, which is you know people's heads were exploding when I read when I wrote that in the book. I mean every time I did a radio interview, they were like just you know bouncing off the walls like what. <laughs> um but that's a a real question that you know at some point artificial intelligence will surpass all acquired human knowledge that will happen so we can debate is it going to happen in 8 years and 20 years and 200 years we can debate whatever that's irrelevant at some point it's going to happen and then the, the point is you know how are we what is the cuz the the ai at some point is going to say these humans you know they they kill each other over parking spots at Foods <laughs> market they pollute all of the oceans and the air and the planet and everything and they're they're just totally irrational they're self-destructive they're selfish They're short-term. They don't plan for the future. They don't protect the future. They don't protect the planet. They threaten our existence. So we're going to need to either exterminate them all or we're going to have to put them in ant farms or zoos or (laughs) (laughs) whatever. Um, And the only thing that will give us a chance at that juncture will be if we will have changed the model of education. And we have actually taught people how to think.
1: Yeah, and create an entirely new paradigm for living, period. I mean, you're familiar with Ray Kurzweil, of course, and that's his, Mm -hmm. the singularity is near. And I I guess you're aware of Peter Diamandis actually has Singularity University. Um,
0: Well, all I know is this Numi toilet that I have is... (laughs) supposed to only lid open and music play when i'm standing in front of it because there's a electric <laughs> eye that's supposed to do that but my new me toilet has now decided sometimes to just start playing classical music <coughs> even though i'm not in the bathroom so it's entirely possible that the singularity has already happened <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you see, this is a good routine for you to do in your comedy act. Yeah. It's fabulous. I mean, you know, the, the toilet that learned to love classical music. In fact, it becomes so obsessed that it plays it when you're trying to sleep, you know. <laughs> and then it's you against the toilet. I mean.
0: It really does. It, it ha- That has happened. It, like at 2 a.m., <laughs> I'm like, what is going And I wake up and it's playing music. <laughs>
1: Oh, man, when I first saw Terminator 2, I just didn't realize how close to home that film could be. Oh, Oh, my God. What is your favorite book besides your own? And it has to be just one right now.
0: Atlas Shrugged. Okay, that was
1: easy. How about a favorite quote?
0: I'll go back to Be Like Water.
1: Mm -hmm. Bruce Lee. How can people contact you? I assume you want them to.
0: I'm on Twitter uh, and randygage.com. My podcast is the Power Prosperity Podcast. Um, And randygage.com, that's where my blog is. I post usually five times a week. Um, So give me a shout.
1: Beautiful. You know, I was going to ask before, but it would have been redundant. Do you have a do you value a strong sense of play? But everything we've been talking about demonstrates that you do. So, yeah, there you go. And any final thoughts for I call my listeners storytellers?
0: Yeah, since you call them storytellers, is I would ask them to think about what story have they sold themselves. Because we all do that. We all sell ourselves stories. Mm -hmm. I can't dance. I could never do that. If I had to speak in front of people, I would have a heart attack and die. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. You know, I don't have the education. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. We sell ourselves stories all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, would, do some critical thinking and, and ask yourself, what are the stories that you sold to yourself, and do they serve you? And if they don't, then why don't you just swap them and sell yourself a better story?
1: Wow, you just defined my entire podcast. That's that's the concept of it. Thank you so much. This has been. Uh, truly an honor, and you contributed so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks. It was a, a fun exploration together.
1: Absolutely. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Randy Gage. People pay Randy five and six figures to receive the wisdom that he gave to you, shared from his heart, Today, for free. Definitely take Alex Mandosian's words to heart that you cannot get what you don't give away and pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And don't forget to download the gift. At that website that I created for you, the ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Of course, many powerful books came up in today's discussion. And Audible, our sponsor, will give you any audiobook of your choice absolutely free. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash Story Power, and the book is yours. Now, the life-changing book that Randy spoke about, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, I don't want you to download that as an audiobook for free. I want you to buy it. I want you to have a physical copy of it in your hands that you can read again and again, that you can underline, take notes from, and Begin to apply the life-transforming principles in it. Warning, don't get this book unless you really want to change and grow your life. Please reach out to me and let me know what you're getting from this show, specifically what you've gotten today from listening to Randy. You can send your messages to Lewis at com. That's L-O-U-I-S at com. Of course, pay this forward also by going to Change Your Story, Change Your Life on iTunes and leave us a good review and a five-star rating. Randy, has given you your assignment for next week. He said, do some critical thinking and ask yourself, what stories have you made up? Stories that may not serve you anymore. And then simply make the decision to get rid of them. That's all it is. And replace them by creating new, empowering stories. Begin by sitting quietly, clearing your mind with a slow, deep breath, and asking, how can I change my story and change my life?
0: Tune in to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life. Hey, before you take off, one last thing, guys. Um, If you don't get my uh, newsletter, my email newsletter, uh, I jump on it now. I'm actually started something new. I'm doing every week uh, just a short uh, message but called Friday Philosophy. Started it last week, big response. People really loved it. It's just, uh, I'm sharing every Friday. I'm taking a few moments with you to share Something really important I'm thinking about that I think you should be thinking about in terms of your success and prosperity. So if you aren't a subscriber, if you don't get my email newsletter, just go to randygage.com and scroll down, I don't know, in the middle of the homepage there, you'll see how to sign up for the newsletter. And do it before Friday because I got something sexy coming out.